the future of farmland here in Northwest Washington, some of the most fertile farmland in the world is in Whatcom and in Skagit counties. And, and a question remains about protecting that farmland, yes, from development, but also another threat. And it's something that we've talked about before here on the program and something that uh, leaders in Skagit County have been working on, protecting farmland from, and farming really, ultimately as a whole. Without farmland, you can't farm practically and, and you drop below a certain threshold of the ability to farm and you know a farming economy a farming community in a given area uh, begins to collapse and of course that's that's the fear but one of the things that could hasten that is um, actually environmental um, you know fish habitat projects do farmers not want to help fish no that's not the story at all, but we've talked about this before. What's happened in Skagit with Seattle City Light? That uh, Seattle City Light, uh, the big, big uh, organization, of course, uh, has an outsized impact in Skagit County. Why Skagit County and Seattle City Light? Because Seattle, uh, the city of Seattle, gets a lot of its power from its hydroelectric dams in Skagit County on the Skagit River. And uh, back with us uh, for an update on this issue is Will Honey, a senior deputy prosecutor with the Skagit County Prosecutor's Office. Welcome to the program this morning, Will. One of the, the sticking points, and I understand there have been some improvements. I, I know this has been in the news. Uh, King 5 has covered this issue. What's going on with, with this? I mean, it involves dams and fish passage and farmland and mitigation and a lot of this heady stuff. But one of the more immediate impacts right now is there is drainage uh, infrastructure, um, drain, you know, ditches and dikes and, and so forth, as well as in Skagit County tide gates that protect farmland um, that need to be maintained. And they can't be right now as part of this larger brouhaha. Give us the update. What's what's happening with that? Well. Uh, yeah, thanks, Stone. Good morning. Yeah, um, so uh, you're right. This is a very complicated, long-running set of issues, and they are all—they're all connected, and a river runs through it. So it's um, you know water rights, tide gates, fish passage, flood control, everything going on here is 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 very much connected. But um, you know, in this Seattle City Light relicensing, things—you know—things seem to be going in a pretty good direction. We've made some real progress on flood control, and we're we're happy uh, that Seattle City Lights come around and is working with us on that, as well as other stakeholders. Obviously, you know, flood storage at the Ross Reservoir is uh, its the single most important and single most uh, cost-effective flood control mitigation measure mm. in the Valley. So we're very concerned about this. Yep. Uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, fish passage um, is, uh, you know, not squarely in our wheelhouse. That's uh, more something the discussions going on between Seattle city light agencies and tribes. Um, but, you know, I think the way to think about it is fish passage is something that's really demonstrably effective at, at putting fish in the river. And the treaty obligation is about a har- it's about actual salmon to harvest, sustain, uh, you know, it's not just commercial activity, it's to sustain a culture. And uh, but at the same time, there's Endangered Species Act obligations uh, with respect to listed species in print in, in, in principally in the Skagit. That's Chinook. Right. 
And so, um, you know, what, what we've tried to do in all of this is to ensure we get our good, good flood control that's, you know, reasonable. Um, everybody's needs need to be balanced. And we think we're pretty close on that. Um, we also want to, you know, we came into this wanting to see uh, not just a focus on the Skagit Delta and farmland, but fish passage, as well as really targeted recovery actions that are um, careful, organized, rational, prioritized, and are multi-benefit because, you know, we need to be looking at infrastructure in addition to uh, creating good habitat. And so, um, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's been a real focus. And part of the problem in all of this is that, uh, you know, and this definitely had some connection with the city light relicensing in our view. And, um, you know, so National Marine Fisheries Service withdrew its consent for the maintenance of uh, our drainage district's tide gates uh, a couple of years ago. And it was the right to or the ability to maintain those tide gates was predicated on the tide gate fish initiative agreement. The idea was there was uh, regular progress towards large projects on the estuary. Then this uh, permitting could continue. Now, you could question whether that was a good plan to begin with. I mean, it's it, it didn't that agreement didn't put the duty on anyone to acquire land. Yeah. Um, and. Um, you know, so that that that's a problem, and um, and so what where that uh, has left us is uh, we, as you recall, passed this uh, offsite mitigation ban. So we what we don't want is uh, just opportunistic and random activity. We we have an obligation as a community to meet recovery goals under the Endangered Species Act. You know, we're we're not getting out of that. Uh, and there are other issues, to be sure, with uh, Chinook and their ability to recover and thrive. Marine harvest, pinniped predation, lots of things going on there. But we are going to have to do our piece. And what we need to do is make sure that it's done in the most rational, effective and organized way possible, uh, led by local governments, tribes and relevant agencies, so that we can make sure that as we do what we are required to do, other folks are as well, and we get some certainty and predictability about our ability to maintain uh, this critical infrastructure without which yeah. farming a lot else won't work here. Yeah, uh, TFI, uh, that agreement that you, you're talking about, the Tidegate f- uh, Fish Initiative, um, and that has been a big uh, part of the talk of late. What's going to happen with that? Explain, though, for folks who aren't familiar, what is the importance in that particular location, in that uh, geography there in Skagit County, along the water, the importance of the diking drainage and and those tide gates? That makes all the difference in the world for farming and other things. Yeah, that's right. Um, And uh, it's it's absolutely indispensable. Everybody understands the function of uh, marine dikes and river levees. They keep the the, the high water out. But there's a lot of water that comes off of this landscape that flows down, that rains, and it has to be let out. So we're keeping the salt water and the river floods off the farmland. But there's also water that has to be let out, mm-hmm. and uh, these 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 tide gates are um, indispensable in that sense. So what happened is in the uh, 2000s, uh, some uh, environmental organizations brought suit against the local dike districts here, saying that uh, you can't maintain these tide gates um, because it's harming salmon. And so in settlement, the districts 
entered a deal where they agreed to uh, facilitate, not fund, not organize, not run, not acquire land, just facilitate um, up to 2,700 acres of projects on the Skagit Estuary. This 2,700 acres is the number that the tribes and agencies uh, sort of agreed is necessary to achieve recovery goals under the Endangered Species Act. This worked fairly well and was going uh, according to plan, but um, when City Light started relicensing its project, um, and this is uh, covered in the uh, the article uh, that you mentioned uh uh, the Post Alley article is a good yep. thing for folks to read. Uh, you might you could, maybe you could put something up on your website for people to see yeah. it. But, uh, you know, what what inspired is, uh, and, and again, this is in the past. This is not the current status quo. Things, you know, we're, we're making some progress with Seattle City Light, but understanding the history is necessary here. Yep. And yep. Uh, they essentially had a need for more land than the 2,700 acres that we've all agreed to to recover salmon. So this is the problem with the mitigation concept. It goes beyond regulatory obligations into we need more land. And so... Um, Land to yeah. use as mitigation for the uh, current lack of, of fish passage on, on the dams upstream. If I r- recall the proclivities of how we discussed this previously, again, you say that that's making progress, but that's the background there. Yes, 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 thanks. Lots of, lots of complicated pieces. But they, they wanted to do habitat instead of fish passage. It's their principal mitigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so, um, you know, I think it's, there, it's fair to say there's some connections here and, uh, there was a lot of pressure put on NIMPS, the National Marine Fisheries Service that decides these things, uh, saying that the Tidegate Fish Initiative Agreement was behind schedule and wasn't working. And I think we, everybody here felt quite differently. And I think the facts reflect that, but nevertheless, the, the National Marine Fisheries Service withdrew its biological opinion. Uh, supporting uh, the permitting of these tide gates. And so now no permits are issued to maintain these tide gates. And of course they require regular maintenance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, this is natural, you know, it's it's in nature and things fall apart. You have to maintain them. Um, And so uh, this, this is, you know, in a sense, illogical. The whole setup here was illogical because it's actually a betterment, an improvement ecologically into fish habitat when they maintain the tide gates. They'll put in, you know, side opening gates that are better for fish instead Mm -hmm. of top gates. They're making things better when they maintain them. So we want them this to happen. Uh, but nevertheless, it's uh, so. So what we did as local governments, in partnership with the tribes, is uh, we said, okay, enough of this, right? It's this progress that's not happening is not our fault, but it's certainly we're being held accountable to a huge degree for the failure of, of this progress. Right. So uh, you know, the National Marine Fisheries Service has made abundantly clear the TFI and Tidegate Fish Initiative Agreement is not coming back. It's over. Mm. It's done. Um, and so what ha- what we have pursued over the last year is, um, you know, we need a long-term locally grounded forum to sort out uh, not just fish habitat, but uh, climate change and resilience plans, estuary restoration, farmland preservation. You know, this is all happening on the same 60,000 acres of the Skagit Delta. Yep. And this can't be a- a- approached piecemeal. Uh, we, we need to see when we do these projects that we're significantly improved, not just improving our infrastructure, but ensuring that privately owned segments of dike 
are ending up in public my district hands. Uh, you know, these, these, yep. this, this, this flood control and drainage task doesn't end at individual property lines. It's very much a collective task. And that's why these districts, uh, these dike and drainage districts were formed back in the early part of the 1900s. Yeah. Well, it, and it makes a lot, by the way, we're talking with, um, Will Honey. Uh, he's the senior deputy prosecutor in Skagit County. Um, this is the farming show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI, um, talking about the latest uh, on this situation. Uh, we've talked about some of the pieces of this in the past. Um, but back to what, what we've been tackling here, Will, it, not being able to maintain that infrastructure is bad for fish or can be bad for fish, right? Isn't it just absolutely counterintuitive that they're not allowing that? Um, well, I, I, I think, you know, the, the reasoning is uh, on, on the part of the folks that brought this about. The idea was that, uh, you know, if you can't maintain your tide gates, it'll create some leverage to force participation in large projects. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, holding up the entire valley's tide gate permits when the maintenance is itself helping fish, so as to compel unidentified landowners to sell their land. Uh, I, I think there's some legal issues there with that yeah. approach. Um, I won't, you know, won't go into that. But we, uh, rather than addressing this problem from the standpoint of those legal issues, what we've said is, okay, we can all sit around and fight about it, or we can come together as local governments as Skagit Treaty tribes and research, relevant resource agencies and, and figure this out. We, we have the ability as local government to help move this stuff forward in terms of land acquisition permitting, in terms of, you know, into the districts, uh, for one thing, have to be involved in any of these plans and they, they, they've been excluded, right? In terms of design, engineering, construction, maintenance, operations, they're charged by law with maintaining these things and not just that the folks that are behind these districts, they've been here for generations doing this. They know what they're doing. So, uh, you know, we have, uh, insisted, uh, that this be, you know, a locally led and locally grounded thing. So local government and the uh, co-managers and we, uh, you know, we, we start with, uh, this list that's been identified under the Chinook recovery plans, the estuary restoration strategic assessment agencies, tribes, local government, ag groups all agreed on where's the best place for these 2,700 acres from an infrastructure habitat and farmland preservation perspective. Right. Um, and that rational and prioritized approach that's directly tied to recovery goals. Recovery goals means what we need to do to meet our obligations under the Endangered Species Act, not other stuff. Um, we bring all that together, and so we're, uh, we're 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 down the road on that. And I think there's it's it's it seems like a really positive thing. What is at stake here, though? I mean, th- it sounds like even if some progress is being made, now is not not the time to uh, to step back and say, "Oh, this is all going to be okay." Um, What's, no, what's yeah. the risk if this doesn't get ironed out? If if, if thing you know we don't get to a place where where uh, infrastructure can be maintained there in Skagit County, what, what's the risk for farming? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, obviously, uh, you know, it's. I think you're not going to see catastrophic failure, but if you don't maintain things, they start to fall apart. It starts to get more and more expensive. Deferred maintenance is a bad thing, right? Yep. And. Um, 
so uh, you know eventually you would see failures but i think what's uh you know, th th these districts have a legal obligation to keep this infrastructure in order. So District 12, which is the district around Burlington, has filed a 60-day notice of intent to sue the National Marine Fisheries Service. Um, I think they're coming up on that 60 days uh, because NEMPS has failed to appropriately issue uh, tidegate maintenance permits. So, you know, it, it, it really is... I think, you know, what's to be lost here is this devolves into litigation and expense. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we as local government have put all the necessary pieces in place uh, to, to find success here. So we expect that, uh, every, you know, everybody's going to act in good faith and the agencies um, of both the state and federal government will be supportive. And they have been. So. Um, you know, for the most part, particularly WFW. And uh, so what, what, what we, you know, what we see occurring is, again, you know, this becomes the nucleus of the local long, you know, locally grounded, long-term stable plan. I think one of the things I've, I've been doing this for 16 years, this position, and you, you observe things over time. And uh, one of the things that I've seen is that every time there's a new uh, presidential administration, we get sort of a new bunch of people and a new bunch of money and a new bunch of plans. Hmm. Yeah. And you know, this is a long-term thing. This list of projects is going to take 30 years. We can't be changing the plan every four years. So yeah. we need a plan that's about the Skagit and then others are welcome to come help. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Again, Will Honey with the Skagit County Prosecutor's Office, Senior Deputy Prosecutor there here on the Farming Show with us. Um, real quick, when we're about out of time, you guys just had a bunch of water come through there uh, in terms of flooding. How did you How did you fare? Oh, well, it was uh, mercifully less than uh, it was forecasted. I think it yeah. was the forecast is up to 38 feet at the concrete gauge, and we ended up a bit less than that. Um so yeah, it was it was we, we were we were spared uh, the worst of it. Um, it is, you know, this flooding is is it's part of the equation when you live in this yep. part of the world, and you just have to build it into your plans. Yeah, exactly right. Well, and and that's an answer to a lot of folks' prayers that uh, it wasn't uh, as bad as it could have been. Uh, by quite a stretch. Again, Will Honey down in Skagit County, Senior Deputy Prosecutor down there. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the update. Uh, this is complicated stuff. It's hard to uh, dig through, but we appreciate the context that you bring and the explanation for why some of these things are the way they are. Um, and ultimately, it's good to hear there's progress being made. Um, I sure hope they, they keep at it and solve some more of these big issues that continue to loom. Okay, well, uh, thanks for the call, Dylan. You take care.